it's very different to perhaps what the public perception of a dark space might look like. It's much closer to a co-working space. At its heart, what we do is provide infrastructure to food businesses who need it. We've had a really interesting fundraising journey because we've been funded mainly by private equity instead of venture capital. That's triggered these larger rounds. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Hello and welcome to the UKTM podcast, a weekly chat with the founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies and other key stakeholders. In this series, we'll be exploring what entrepreneurship looks like in the UK right now, as well as getting tips from some of our most innovative business leaders and discussing the hot topics in the tech world. I'm your host, Jane Wakefield, and I've been writing about technology for many years. And joining me today is Eki Newton, the co-founder and CEO of Karma Kitchen. Welcome, Eki. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. So Karma Kitchen is a kitchen rental firm, and it's one of a growing number of startups that hire out kitchen space to restaurants and food delivery firms. Now, Eki, you have variously been described as a cloud kitchen, a dark kitchen, and even a ghost kitchen. But I think your preferred term is is the we work of catering. So explain to me a little bit about the concept behind your startup. So Karma Kitchen is actually a much less scary and much more simple idea than many people might think. So at its heart, what we do is provide infrastructure to food businesses who need it. And those food businesses could be any kind of business from people doing last mile delivery all the way through to people manufacturing products for supermarkets. We really touch all the different parts of the food production market. What we do is we buy light industrial real estate in underutilized areas. We then convert that industrial space into kitchens, splitting the unit into smaller and larger kitchen spaces. And then we lease that space to food businesses who need it of all kinds. And then once the space is up and running, we provide a whole range of different services like cleaning, operation support, pest control, waste management, just these basic things that help these businesses focus on their food product and less on the kitchen delivery, so the building and running of the kitchen space. And if you think about it, many people who work in an office, they wouldn't expect their company to build and fit out their entire office space every time they needed to scale up. But if you run a kitchen business, if you run a food manufacturing company, you as the owner of that company is expected to understand everything from new environmental regulation and sustainable building all the way through to how to effectively run and maintain a building, a massive building that's used to produce food safely. So really the role of Karma Kitchen is to really provide that infrastructure support to businesses and just let them get on with like 
making the food, which is the most important part. So how many of these spaces do you have currently? So we have four sites live. We have six sites under construction and we have four or five sites currently going into the construction process at the moment. Each site has around 50 kitchens in it, ranging in size from really small workbenches that you can rent on a shift basis, so for an eight-hour basis, all the way through to two, three, 4,000 square foot kitchen units that are leased up on a 10 year basis for massive companies. So really it's like a whole range of different businesses from really tiny startups. It's just like the founders in the kitchen, they're just starting their journey to businesses which have exposure all over Europe and America and really are like multinational businesses. And that sounds like quite an interesting mix of customers. And you mentioned that, you know, it includes food delivery apps. So what kind of share would you say of your kitchen spaces is down to the deliveries and the Ubers of this world versus those people just trying to set up their own uh, restaurant business for the first time? So interestingly, the people who run these delivery companies who deliver food to people's homes, they also range in size from the really large companies like the KFCs and McDonald's through to people who are really tiny and they may have started their business in the pandemic where the only option for starting their food business was actually to sell via delivery channels. So Uber Eats, Just Eat and Deliveroo in the UK, but there's many more in Europe. So even in, in each sector, there's a big range of size of business. So we kind of go across both sectors, so delivery and also sizes. But for delivery itself, so people making hot food and then delivering it via these delivery aggregators to people's doors, it's probably about 40% of our client base. The remaining 60% are people doing all other kinds of food production. So perhaps they have a restaurant in one area or they have maybe multiple restaurants or even multiple delivery locations. They need to centralize their production in one large kitchen space. They'll use our kitchen to build that space where they can produce large quantity of food and use a hub and spoke model to kind of deliver out to, to other locations around the city. Now, if I'm sitting there looking at a list of options for, for dinner and I kind of come up with one, say it's a little startup restaurant that I've never heard of before, I'm going to expect that that food is cooked in a restaurant. Do you think it matters that, that consumers don't necessarily know that actually my food is being prepared in a, in a warehouse in East London? Should, should I be concerned about that? Or, you know, should you tell consumers that actually it's not being made in, in a restaurant? That's a really good question. So I think that's the main thing that consumers might be unaware of or, or confused about. And there's definitely people that would say, no, it doesn't really matter. But I think actually it really does matter. And I think the question, where does my food come from, is a really, really important one. You know, people are more interested in the provenance of their products and food and how the employees at the place where they're working are treated, what kind of working conditions they work under. And if you look at the kitchens that we provide, for example, for most businesses, I would say we don't have any businesses in our site that have less than a four-star food hygiene rating. Most of the businesses have five-star food hygiene ratings. The kitchens are super light, really bright spaces filled with natural light and color and rest areas and prayer rooms and kitchenettes. It's very different to 
perhaps what the public perception of a dark space might look like. It's much closer to a co-working space. And if you think about other products that you might order or buy, you wouldn't really think twice if somebody was working in a co-working space. You'd be like, oh, well, that's where their office is based. And it's exactly the same with dark kitchens. And I think specifically to Karma Kitchen, we really want people from the community to come down and visit a Karma Kitchen. We want them to be engaged in the space and we want our brands to list actively and say, look, we're part of Karma Kitchen. This is where your food is made. Come down, come and do click and collect. Come and charge your car here. And because we pull from this very wide range of businesses, everything, you know, we're looking at working with people like vertical farm providers. We add EB charge points to all of our sites. We want people in the community to come down and engage with the things that we're building and be a community hub for all different people, not just people who are ordering food, but also people who are living in the local area, who work as food producers in the space or who work as delivery riders and also live in the local area. Because if you think about the local economy around maybe one of our sites that say Wood Green in North London, most of the people that order the food live in Wood Green. Most of the people that work in the space work in Wood Green. And most of the people who collect and deliver the products to and from those two groups, they also live in Wood Green too and they work in Wood Green. So, you know, you're creating a really interesting piece of geography and infrastructure within a local community that's creating jobs and opportunities that's also introducing people to new and interesting foods that probably wouldn't be able to be executed in a restaurant setting because some of the concepts just are too small to really take on a major lease with an institutional landlord. It's an interesting point you make about community, isn't it? Because the kind of change in the way we consume things from, you know, not doing so much shopping on the high street to, to, to using delivery apps has lost some of that sense of community. That's one of the sort of casualties, I guess, of the of the digital economy. So how are you finding that? Are you getting local people coming down, getting interested in it? How are you kind of really building that that community with local people beyond those that might work in your kitchens? So we had Mr. Beast launch in our Wood Green site a few months ago. I don't know if you know Mr. Beast. I, like pr- I feel I should, but I feel popular. I'm probably too old. <laughs> It's, he's he's a he's a really popular I guess YouTuber and he started this food burger brand called Mr Beast and he's franchised it out all around the world. We had the launch of Mr Beast and I'm I'm not joking. We we're in a it's in a kind of semi-industrial setting the site in Wood Green so it's it's got a big yard outside. The entire yard was filled with a round the block queue of people coming to like sample Mr Beast. Everybody from the local community was like out in force to join for this launch. And I think we're a company that really celebrates that like presence in the community of everything that we do and the businesses that we serve. On our social media, it's all about the businesses that are in our space. A lot of businesses do list us being part of Karma Kitchen. And community is more than just the the residents who might order the product. It's also the people who work in situ in the place. And, you know, hundreds of people work at every Karma Kitchen. And they're also part of the local community and they're also engaged with it and providing them with high quality workspace close to where they live, where they don't have to commute, they can commute on foot or by bike. These are important things. This helps the community reinvest in itself and in every location we're in. And I think it's quite interesting that you mentioned that the high street has maybe seen 
perhaps less engagement in the last few years. And maybe that is true. But what we've also seen in the last few years is kind of a hyper-localization where people are more interested in shopping in their local area and engaging in their local community. And I think that Karma Kitchen actively participates in that and contributes to it. It keeps people in their area and allows them to engage with businesses which are homegrown to that specific community. And we really see that. We see businesses which exist to serve their local community, doing exactly that from Karma Kitchen and offering actual click and collect and appointments to come down. We've run a number of different programs to encourage local businesses to start and to grow within a Karma Kitchen site. We did a great food fellowship program last year where basically eight businesses got free kitchen space for a year with us. And they were all London-based businesses that were getting their first basically active kitchen space. And it was just super interesting, like watching them grow and develop. And now actually a few of them have scaled up with us and taken much larger space for production and manufacturing. And we really see that trajectory of businesses. If you give people an opportunity to have affordable workspace in their local area where they can accommodate their childcare needs, where they can rent a couple of days a week and they're not on a fixed term contract because we have some space to supportable workspace in every site where it's really affordable, it's about £300 a month to get started and you can take any number of shifts a day or a week. So it really is like, it's the ability to just start a business without any of those overheads and costs and then scale up at your leisure. It's been very impactful for the businesses that have used it. A quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk intact. From what you're saying, it seems that sustainability is kind of obviously close to your heart and something that you really want to be a part of this. But how do you control that with so many different businesses coming in, perhaps not all of them with that same local ingredients, local labour, etc. view that you have? We think about sustainability in terms of the environment and we should definitely continue to do that. Very important and I'll get onto that in a second. But sustainability again and the way that I definitely see sustainability is in terms of people. Do you create sustainable circular economies that allow businesses to flourish and succeed and employees to be paid correctly and to do well in in, in the areas you create? And I think that Karma Kitchen is great at providing those opportunities for businesses and creating workplaces that can be sustainable for the people that work in them. Many kitchens, and people often think, oh, dark kitchens, there's no windows, there's no natural light. It's almost the opposite. If you go to a restaurant and you go into the kitchen, and since I was 14, I've worked as a chef before I started any of the companies that I now work on. I never worked in a kitchen with windows, except for one place, which was a really nice Michelin star restaurant and it had windows, but most kitchens are in a basement tucked away in the back and you're there for 18 hours a day. And Karma Kitchen could not be more different to that in terms of working environments. So I think that's a great place to start thinking about, you know, creating these sustainable work environments. And then on the other side, in terms of the wider picture of the environment, it's sustainability. We're uniquely positioned to affect and control how thousands of businesses will run and operate over the next 10 years. We can set targets like, you know, we want to 
provide net zero energy by 2027. And we want 100% of our waste to be dealt with appropriately. We want everybody to use biodigesters and recycle and turn their oil into biofuel. Hundreds of businesses at the same time, we can affect that. We can basically opt them in to doing those things. And they don't have to think about it. They don't have to worry about it. They don't have to really take any other steps or actions other than being in a karma kitchen to benefit from suddenly using green energy because we have decided to go with a particular energy provider or build a substation or build solar on the roof of the building or recycle their oil. All they have to do is just pour their oil into their oil bin and we'll make sure that it's turned into biofuel. So we can have a much bigger impact than any individual restaurant or food business which is working in a silo because we are 100% focused on the infrastructure and how to deliver that as sustainably as possible. And I think that that's a real value in a business like Karma Kitchen where we can have a wide ranging impact on all of these different touch points from employee welfare all the way through to how we build the buildings and what kind of environmental policies we decide to operate. And how does regulation work? Is regulation down to those people that uh, come into your kitchen or is there new regulations that govern these kind of shared spaces, especially when it comes to food? Because obviously that has very tight regulation. Exactly, so the FSA obviously governs all food safety and hygiene. And most of our sites, we have a monthly inspection with the local inspector or a range of different local inspectors because there are so many businesses in our space and new people are coming on board every week or every couple of weeks. We have a regular inspection, so we never go more than four or five weeks without a food inspector in, in, in the site and each business is individually rated. Then if you think about the environmental regulations, the laws recently changed. There's some new Part L regulations and building control regulations that legally mandate that businesses have to build to a certain sustainable standard. And you know we're really excited about those changes. It's great for everyone it's great for us and it's going to be great for the future of construction and building and the thing is is that if you were to build a building by yourself you may not even know you wouldn't know if you were an individual restaurant building a a site one individual site what part l even was but we have an entire development team that spends all of our time thinking about what materials we could use here or, or could we swap this material out to make a more sustainable change? Could we improve the heating and cooling of the building from where we are now to where we want to be in the future? Can we use air source heat pumps instead of gas? Like all of our sites are fully electric through to the heating and cooling of the sites, the heating of the water. And we're pushing harder and harder every single year to tighten those things up on behalf of all of the businesses we work with to get to a place in hopefully 2027 to 2030 where we are able to say like, not only are we as low carbon as possible as a business, but also the businesses who work with us are as close to net zero as could possibly be. Now, let's talk a little bit about you. You mentioned earlier that you've been a chef, so you obviously have a passion for food. And I know as well that you set this business up with your sister. So, you know, tell me what it was that kind of made you decide we need to go and build some kitchen spaces in industrial sites in London. (laughs) Oh, man. You know, you would not believe it. Honestly, if I looked at where my career is now and what I spend most of my days doing, I think if you had talked to me at 22, when we started our first business together, 
I don't think that me and my sister would have expected that we would be, you know, have our own labeled hard hats. <laughs> so basically, when I graduated from my master's, I was working as a chef to make money on the side. I decided to start, through a weird confluence of events, decided to start a lunch delivery company that delivers basically salads to people's offices by bike. And that was the first, is this called Karma Cans? It's still going today. We started with literally five pounds making one lunch. And that, man, that was a real struggle. I mean, we were, re we're a revenue-driven business, that business. So we'd never taken on any outside investment. And we got one very small virgin startup loan back in the day that helped us kind of build our first kitchen. And we ended up moving three times in one year. The whole business had to move three times in one year from a shared space to a shipping container. And then to finally to this warehouse, which we were like, this is amazing. This is the best location we've ever had. And it's so big. I mean, now when I look at it, it's so funny because it's, it's six or seven years old now. And we're about to kind of refurbish it a little bit. And we grew the business from really making just one lunch a day to one individual client to becoming a major corporate catering firm in London. We make over a thousand meals a day now. We do a lot of events catering. We work with many of the big tech companies. And as we grew that business, what we really realized is that we were not alone in the struggle to find kitchen space. There used to be this website, ineedakitchen.com. And it was just full of people posting, I need a kitchen, I need a kitchen. And I just remember we were sitting chatting one day and like, you know, we should build kitchen space for other people. We were already subletting our unit on the weekends when we were closed. And it just wasn't quite geared up. The space wasn't quite geared up to share with other people. And so we decided to build our very first kitchen unit quite close to our actual Karma Can site and call it Karma Kitchen. And it was really geared up to serve businesses, which were like our business. So catering companies and food production companies. And we got started with that one site. It's a very different business model, Karma Kitchen. You know, you can't just start with five pounds making one thing. You have to have some capital behind you to make a, a business like Karma Kitchen work. So we raised money for the first time. That was a really interesting thing. And then in 2018, we opened the first the first Karma Kitchen location. And since then, we've been scaling a reasonably well-paced scale, I'd say. It's starting to really ramp up now as we get faster at building and we have more capital available to us. Yeah, you, well, you raised 252 million in July 2020. So yeah, that's pretty decent. I think it was one of the largest VC rounds raised in Europe in the recent years, wasn't it? What, what was it, do you think, that yes. attracted people so much to this type of business? So it's a whole combination of different factors that, that kind of work together. It's, it's about the real estate and it's also about the asset class that we're building. And we actually closed another round, which we, we didn't announce it because we were like, we just need to get on with the building part. But in the December 2021, we closed another hundred million pounds to continue to buy assets and build them. It just takes so long to build these assets and buy and, and acquire them. So we just wanted to give ourselves this year to really just like crack it out, basically crack all these assets out and like build them. But yeah, so we've had a really interesting fundraising journey because we've been funded mainly by private equity instead of venture capital. That's triggered these larger rounds. And, and our goal was always to own the property and also to manage it and run it. And it's a, a model that we, we want to scale across the whole of Europe. So this year is really about the UK. And then from next January, February, we really want to start focusing on the rest of Europe. And many of our clients stretch across different territories already. So it's just as much about servicing them as like spreading the, the vision of Karma Kitchen as, as far and wide as possible. And scaling up 
especially moving into other countries, is kind of the dream of a lot of startups. What what would be your sort of top tips for doing that and not finding yourself struggling on a daily basis? Honestly, as we haven't yet moved into a second territory yet, I think I'm not quite the right person to answer that. I'm probably going to be listening to this podcast and like waiting for someone to give me that piece of advice in the future. But I'm, I'm sure it's going to be very challenging as every single aspect of doing businesses, you know, all the way through, there's always challenges and they're, they're, they're different every time, you know, from not having any money and starting a company with almost nothing to having a lot of money and having to deploy that quite quickly to growing a team from very small to like a reasonably sized business. Each phase of a company's growth has these like very interesting challenges that keep it fresh. I mean, you're doing this job sometimes for five, 10 years at a time, and you're committed to the long-term vision and the execution of that long-term vision. And without all these different interesting parts kind of cropping up and making your life sometimes hard, but also really fun, I think it just wouldn't be the joy that it is to kind of grow these like interesting companies up from the ground from nothing and then seeing them becoming something which you grow a company and it's all your ideas, it's all your decision-making when it's very small. And then as you grow your team, basically, grows around you and they have the good ideas they have all these amazing things that they want to achieve through your business and watching that flourish is like a really powerful feeling and it it feels really really good so I'm sure that Europe is going to be fraught with many challenges but I'm sure it will also be like very fun and exciting to to try and do it. Now, we've seen this huge societal shift in the way that we consume food with the rise of these delivery services such as Uber Eats and Delivery, but they haven't been entirely without challenges. I know that they've kind of come in for some criticisms for the disruptions that they cause in neighbourhoods. It sounds like you've made the decision to move out to and not be in sort of high streets, but how how do you get on with your neighbours? And has there been issues with that in the same way that Deliveroo and Uber have have found problems with getting on with their neighbours? So we actually haven't had Touchwood yet. We haven't had any issues with our neighbours so far. So most of our sites, in fact, almost 100% of our sites are located in industrial sites, industrial areas. So we're not next to residential, you know, neighbour. We're very close to them, but we're not on top of them. So no one would be close enough to, to be overlooking a common kitchen. And even if they were, we're very stringent about things like odour control and noise control and where we would locate plant equipment. You know, we want to be celebrated by the community and in order to do that, in order to be celebrated by the community, you need to work with them to to allay any queries or concerns that they might have. I think, is, is there issues with traffic though? Because if you've got hundreds of different kitchens and presumably they're all looking to distribute that stuff out does that not cause bottlenecks and problems that's such an interesting question so what we've actually realized is that if everybody was doing delivery in your space then i think that you may face that but what i would say is that all of the aggregators are on the same page about where they want to get to so first thing that they want to be able to achieve is low carbon electric only deliveries and just eat has come a long way in being able to do that i know that uber is working on a major sustainability policy at the moment which is pushing very hard to have e-bikes in place of mopeds moped traffic is the number one concern for local residents i think and it's also our number one concern too we would love nothing more than for every single delivery to happen on a bike or on an electric vehicle 
And we think that that would go a long way to protecting local communities and also helping everybody just get along better and, and get the services and products that they want. But what we've noticed in the, and from our traffic management surveys is actually that because we work with 60% food manufacturing companies and only 40% delivery in each site, there aren't that many people who are actually doing delivery at the same time every day. And the food manufacturing companies, it doesn't fit in the same kind of delivery patterns. You might have one van a day coming to collect, you know, two wedding cakes and driving them somewhere out of London versus, you know, many small lighter goods deliveries. So it's a very different kind of traffic management plan. And in the areas that we're working in, so these industrial sites, we are an operator that has very few HGVs coming in and going out of our of our area, of our sites. And that, to be honest, is, is a massive benefit for the community because HGVs are high polluting vehicles and they've been associated with many road accidents and all the stuff and they're, they're much larger and more noisy. So having an operator like Karma Kitchen reduces the amount of heavy goods vehicles and maybe you have more light goods goods vehicles, bikes, pedestrians, and mopeds. Hopefully those mopeds will move more to electric over the next kind of 10 years. We know that the, the smaller vans and cars will move to electric over the next 10 years. We're providing the infrastructure to allow that change to happen. But at the same time, we are limiting the number of kind of heavy goods vehicles, like patrolling around a local area and creating less demand for that. Fantastic. Sadly, that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UK TN podcast. It was a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining me, Eki. To keep up to date with the latest UK tech developments, head over to www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter. And you can also get in touch with me via LinkedIn or Twitter at Jane Wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, goodbye from me. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact.